0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today, as we have we have noticed, the color at the altar is red because we celebrate the feast of the great Saint George, martyr. And I just realized while while reading the Gospel, just now, that uh, the name George, Georgi, in Latin uh, has the same root than the word agricola, uh, the the farmer. The, the one who takes care of the, the land. And it's interesting enough that the Gospel chosen for the day actually mentioned uh, the Father, God the Father, as this agricola, the, the, the man who takes care, the laborer, the, the man who takes care of the the, the divine, Christ being vine, and we all, the branches. So an interesting connection between St. George, the etymology of his name, and uh, the Gospel of the day, uh, which reminds us that we have one, uh, we are all uh, branches of that one vine, Christ our Lord, and God the Father comes and takes care of this uh, vine. This is a little parenthesis. So for the Feast of St. George today, let us take a look at this beautiful life of a great martyr for, uh, to build up you know, good resolutions for the day and for the month, according to the example of his life. St. George was born in 280 in Diaspolis, which is uh, a city now in uh, actual Turkey. We know that he was born of rich, wealthy parents and good Christians, pious people, especially his dad was known to be a pious man, a good servant, and a good master uh, for his family and uh, the people interested in his care. We also know that his father served for a while the Emperor, the Emperor Diocletian, served in the the military, uh, at the service of the army of the Emperor Diocletian. So when his father died, uh, our dear St. George, when he was only 17, joined the Emperor's army as well, following the footsteps, of course, of his beloved father. We know from many authors that wrote about the great Saint George early on in the history of the church, we know that he was a very handsome man, a very bright spirit, very intelligent, of particular exquisite politeness, very delicate man, very polite, and of course which would make him certainly a very good diplomat and a very good leader in the in the army at the service of the emperor, things and virtues that cannot be... Um, um, unnoticed by, of course, the emperor himself. So very quickly, he was asked to serve the emperor in a higher level of the hierarchy. He was 17, as I mentioned, he was 17 when he joined the military, and we know that he died in 303, which means only 23 years old, which means only a couple years serving in the military. And very quickly he was raised up to one of the highest ranks in the the service of the emperor. So seeing these handsome, bright, intelligent men, the emperor decided to uh, nominate him uh, as tribunus, tribune, which is kind of the equivalent of what we would have today as a colonel, so uh, commanding about 1,000 men. He of course also, very early on, The emperor also promised uh, Saint George a very promising future, a very beautiful career in front of him. And one day, and that's what really is the starting point of the martyrdom of our dear Saint George, one day the emperor Diocletian decided to consult the gods, and especially God Apollon, to ask this god about some. Affairs, some business uh, with the the empire. He wanted to have some answers regarding particular matters concerning the governing of the empire. So he went. You can imagine the emperor with his courts, his priests, of course, false priests, uh, going before these very imposing, beautiful, probably beautiful statue of the god Apollo, of offering their gifts and sacrifices to this false god, and asking in return some uh, answers regarding particular matters. And authors mentioned that from the depth of the earth was heard a deep voice, a grave voice, telling him, telling the emperor, righteous men, just men, good men, are preventing me from telling you the truth. I would like to open here a little parenthesis regarding these false gods and the fact that what kind of truth are they talking about? What kind of truth is Poland talking about here? From my short time uh, serving in Africa in our missions as a seminarian, I was um, uh, given the the opportunity to attend several exorcisms. And it is true, of course, that the devil, we note that for a fact, the devil can reveal true things. Although we also know that he is also the father of lies. Which means that we have deep, the, the exorcist has to be extremely cautious in how, and people around it, uh, how to interpret what, the, interpret what the devil is saying, what the bad angels are saying. Is it actually true? Is it false? Is it a lie? Usually we don't need to uh, you know, uh, trust much or listen much to what the devil is saying. We just have to read the ritual. Of the exorcism, and that's plenty. You know, uh, the the church, the the whole power of the church is inside this ritual, inside these prayers. So there is no uh, need to negotiate in certain ways with the devil, trying to see what is true, what is wrong. So no worries to have here. Anyway, so the we know that the devil has a certain power over you know what is true. He can he cannot foresee the future, but he can make assumptions, and he has much more elements than we do because he sees kind of the whole picture in a much larger scale, whereas we are kind of, uh, you know, restricted in our understanding and our knowledge of the different elements that surround us. So the, the devil knows and he, he can see and make assumptions much better than we do. This is why we can feel sometimes that, you know, in things we hear, uh, that the devil seems to, to know, have a knowledge of the future, but no, it's simply that he can make assumptions with may, much more elements many more elements than we do. So these false gods, uh, we know for sure that, uh, I'm talking about the devil here, because we know for sure that these false gods were certainly not good angels. And luckily enough, easy enough for us, we know that in the kingdom of uh, the angels, the court of angels, it's either black or white. There is no you know, middle angel, Either good or bad, or we're not sure. Kind of in between. Uh, no, it's very clear because of their uh, instant intelligence. Their choice, their decision to serve or not to serve, was made in one instant, and there was no way to return. So, good angels and bad angels. Therefore, when we look at these gods, these false gods, and when we see, you know, the immoral life that they seem to have lived, of course, these are just uh, men using all their, uh, you know, the ideal, uh, immoral life that they would like to have, and kind of project that into an entity, an angel, a god, a half-god or whatever, goddess, and just to kind of satisfy them all the all the worst desires of their nature. So, of course, you know that these were certainly not uh, good angels, but evil angels, bad angels, fallen angels. So these false gods have a certain knowledge of the truth, for sure, and it is interesting enough to see that the the bad angel, who was, you know, personified in in this uh, God Ap- apollon, um, says they prevent me from telling you the truth. Quid est veritas? What can relate with our Lord just before facing his passion? What is the truth? What truth is this devil talking about to the abhor opponent? I think here we can consider two things. Either the God here, Paul, is simply trying to deceive uh, the emperor, telling him, you know, I know the truth and offer me more sacrifices, uh, you know, keep these righteous men away from me, these just men away from me, and I will tell you the truth. It can simply be a lie to kind of entertain a right occult cults, uh, to these false gods, sacrifices for these false gods, as we see, unfortunately, still today in Africa or other country, even in our country, we see that the devil plays with that. He plays with the truth or our imagination. He can appear take different forms. This way, we think that yeah, he has a, a true power. You know, he he truly exists, and if we offer him sacrifices, he will give me what I want and so on. But of course, we know that this after a while. At the end of the day it doesn't work and um, he takes his ven- and revenge very quickly but so here is the, the Poland talking about you know lies that he would like to reveal to uh, Poland in order to maintain uh, nourish this cult towards himself or is he actually talking about yes the truth the truth of the kingdom of heaven the truth of uh, the faith of the Christians that is the true faith. And in that sense, I think we can um, we can see, as during the, the, the judgment of our Lord by Pontius Pilate, we can see that the devil always presents us with some truth. That's what temptation is all about. He presents to our attention, to our imagination, to our passions, our feelings, our emotions a certain form of the truth, something that would actually, yes, be satisfying, maybe for a short period of time, maybe for a longer period of time, but this truth is kind of um, never in consideration with the ultimate end, with our eternal salvation. And so he kind of plays with that, and makes us think, oh, you know, here is what you need, here is the beautiful cake that you know will satisfy your your hunger for a little while or these beverage that will satisfy your thirst for a couple of minutes or these uh, lower desire of your fallen nature that will satisfy you it will be a relief for you for a couple of minutes couple of hours couple months whatever or this anger you have in your heart well just blame your husband blame your wife blame your kids uh, find a way to you know get rid of this this anger, this is true, this is truly what you need to, you know, be free from this burden or whatever. But it's never, of course, in consideration, once again, with the ultimate end, with what should uh, be, in my mind, when acting, when doing this or that, saying this or that. He always kind of plays with the truth and presents to us false truth that will, once again, never be truly satisfying for uh, the most intimate parts of our human being and uh, soul. So cautious here, and we will see towards the end here of the life of St. George, how we can implore the help uh, of St. George in order to um, be free from certain temptations. And how he resisted by preaching the truth. So going back to our dear uh, Emperor and, her and uh, Apollon, the God Apollon, after the God told him, righteous men, just men, good men, are preventing me for telling you the truth, here's what happened, of course, after hearing this oracle, the emperor became more and more upset, he wanted to know, and he heard from one of the priests present there, oh, I know, I know who these righteous men are, these are the Christians. The Christians present in the empire right now, and are, that are kind of an obstacle between you and the gods. The gods cannot do what they would like to do for your kingdom, for your uh, empire, because of these Christians who worship false god. Hearing that from one of his priests, of course the emperor decided to start again this persecution against the Christians. It awakened in him, in his heart, in his mind, a terrible um, feeling of revenge. Who can stop me from having access to the truth? If these Christians are, then we have to put them to death. Christians, of course, quickly became the scapegoat. And George sees in the changes of the Emperor's mind, he sees that there is, of course, a real threat not only for all the Christians in general, but for himself as well. And that does not prevent him from teaching the truth and from trying to reason the Emperor. He tries. He wants, on the one hand, he wants to protect the Christians, protect his own family, protect uh, all the many saints that are Growing among the Christian community. And on the other side, he wants also to reason the emperor and trying to find a solution. As a good diplomat, as we mentioned, as a good servant of the empire, he wants to find a solution to try to reason the emperor and stop the persecutions. His friends, even his friends, Christians are not, are trying to ask him, George, be prudent, be careful, you will be put to death. And of course, Inspired with a divine zeal for souls and for salvation of these souls, George doesn't stop and tries his best to reason the emperor at the risk of losing his own life. Following, of course, the footstep of the great St. John the Baptist. And so, George, of course, he's not... Stupid! He knows that if he tries to reason the emperor, seeing how cruel the persecutions were, he knew that his his end was probably near, that he was probably going to be put to death very soon. So, as a prudent man, wise man, he prepares everything. He gives away all he has, gives to the poor, frees some of the slaves he might have had in his family. He does everything to make clear that this kingdom is not our kingdom, there is a life to come. And I have to give up everything I have in order to appear in front of the judgment seat, in front of God with empty hands, except with the most precious gift that I have for Him, charity, because charity alone will remain. So He prepares Himself for this last minute, this last hour. What lesson for each one of us of detachment. Death can come, knock at the door at any time. Today we are, tomorrow we'll die. And this virus reminds us, of course, very clearly of this reality. Today we are, tomorrow we'll die. Example from St. George of detachment and humility. Nothing counts before God except charity. And so George is now ready to face his martyrdom. He appears before the emperor, trying to convince him to stop once again the persecution. Awakening this anger, this hatred even against Christians, in the emperor's mind, against Christians and against one of his dear servants, George. But in vain he tries to convince him. Even the emperor, at first, he's kind of touched by the behavior of St. George, because he likes him. He wants to entrust him with even more responsibilities. But he sees him a very promising future, and he proposes it to him, says, George, come to reason, do not try to convince me, but look look what has been promised for you. Think here of the example of our Lord in the desert before facing his passion, when the devil once again presented to him all these kingdoms. Christ, of course, didn't need to have all these. Christ is our king. And so, St. George refuses any offer from the emperor. He is put into prison for a little while. We hang around his neck a very heavy stone, probably to keep him you know, unable to, to move to go anywhere, the stone being laid on the ground, uh, attached to him through his neck and around his chest. Um, but that does not suffice. This is not enough to uh, have our dear George come to reason and uh, reject his Catholic faith. The next day, George, therefore, had to endure another cruel uh, uh, persecution. The wheel of swords, or nails, simply a big wheel in which you had swords, very uh, sharpy nails, we'd put the body of the person inside this wheel, turn the wheel very quickly so as to lacerate the body or dismantled body. You can imagine a very cruel uh, form of persecution here. While in this this wheel, uh, St. George heard a voice telling him, Do not fear, I am with you. And he even saw, appearing before him, a beautiful white man, we don't know exactly who he was, maybe Christ himself, maybe an angel to comfort him in this uh, great tribulation. And of course, that does not prevent George from keeping this love for his faith and for his Christ. And at the sight of such courage, many that were present, of course, converted. We can imagine some of the priests, some of the high-ranked generals present for this uh, execution of one of their peers. We can imagine some of them converting, going back home, and then spreading, of course, the good word and the, the the astonishing courage of a man, courage that couldn't come from human nature but, of course, from God alone. St. George is taken back into his cell, into his prison. Later, George asked the Emperor to go with him to the temple. The temple, of course, of Apollo Ap- You can imagine the Emperor thinking, well, what's going on with our George here? Is he going now to finally accept that our gods are the true gods, and he will deny his faith and accept to listen to the oracle of the great Apollon. So, so let it happen. He takes George, takes him to the temple, and of course, when uh, placed in front of the statue of Apollon, the great Saint George, instead of you know rejecting his faith, on the contrary, um, redouble his as uh, admonishment, his warning against uh, the great emperor Diocletian. What does our dear George do once placed before the statue? He blesses it, makes the sign of the cross on the statue, and you can imagine what happened at that time. Not just the blessing, certainly but more like an exorcism over this evil statue, over this evil angel present in this statue. "'Do you want me to offer you sacrifices as to God Himself?' says he while blessing the statue. "'Do you want me to offer you sacrifices as to God Himself?' The possessed idol, the possessed statue, replied, "'I am not God. And there is no other God than the one you preach about. The devil is kind of retrenched now and has no other option than to acknowledge the power of God. We see that many times in the life of our Lord himself. When he has he asked the devil to be quiet, not to say anything about his divinity, his power, because the, once again the devil has a knowledge on that. He knows that Christ is reason. That he has the victory, and that at the end of time he will once again uh, uh, send all these devils to where they belong. So, scared to death, this evil angel in the statue of Apollon acknowledges in front of everyone the divinity of God, of Christ, the, the power of God, and uh, the fact that St. George, truly, because Christian, uh, Holds the truth. Lesson for us, once again, a great lesson for us in times of temptations. Instead of trying to negotiate with the temptation, trying, you know, trying to find ways to maybe, oh, just a little bit, or where is the, the limit, you know, the borderline? Where can what can I do? What can I say in order to, you know, not commit a grave sin, but still kind of playing with the temptation, negotiating with it. Once again, there is no way to negotiate with the temptation, and especially when it comes, as many spiritual authors tell, especially when it comes to sins of impurity, there is no way to negotiate with these sins. We should run away. You know, it's not cowardice; it's courage to run away when temptations against purity are presented to our attention, to our mind. And we have the great example of Saint George today to bless this temptation. In, to exercise this temptation to cast the devil away by making a little act of faith the divinity of of our Lord to make a little prayer a little invocation to our guardian angel our good angel, we shouldn't forget that our good angels are always around us and uh, invoking the saints, St. George the tear of demons so after all this and uh, the emperor, of course, witnessing this particular uh, very incredible uh, event in the life of St. George, uh, really facing himself, facing the god uh, of Poland, seeing that the emperor, with the pressure from the priests and the other members of his court, uh, decided to put the great St. George put to death. He had to face his martyrdom by decapitation, he was beated on April 23rd, 303. He's the patron saint of the military, of, you know, the, the army, member, army members. He's often representing represented fighting the dragon. Um, it is not sure, many authors, early authors, are not sure that if they were a true fight, you know, with... Uh, a, dragon, a real devil that would take the appearance of a dragon. Um, it's mostly because people think that it's because of this uh, event with the statue of Apollon just to represent him being strong against the devil, the devil being always represented as, as a dragon. dragon. Um, and of course, simply to, to conclude here, let us follow the footstep of our dear St. George. Not being afraid, first, to spread the truth To spread the truth, but with charity. And I'm sorry to say that there might be a tendency in milieu, especially maybe in in traditional milieu, there is a tendency to sometimes preach the truth, but in a way that is not charitable. And St. Francis de Sales, great patron of communication, St. Francis de Sales reminds us that it is much better to keep a judicious silence than to say the truth without any charity. It will be much more powerful to say ch- fruits with charity, of course, than to say it without any charity. The fruits will certainly be rotten fruits, not good fruits. The truth will not be accepted if it's not, of course, done with charity. How many sins can be avoided? Gossiping, detraction. How many sins can be avoided if I keep my mouth shut? When, you know, even with this desire in me to preach the truth, to say something that is true... But without any charity. And especially when it comes to family itself. We know each other so well it is so easy to say, well, yeah, I know he's right, but he's my brother, he's my she's my wife, he's my husband, or whatever, my sibling. I know it's true, but the way he says it, I don't care, I don't want to listen to it. And we know that for through our own experience, daily experience. St. Francis de Sales, you know, following of course the footstep of Saint Paul, read again the hymn of charity. Uh, written by St. Paul. So, St. Francis tells us that it's much easier to attract bees with a spoon of honey, as you know, than with a, spool, a spoon full of vinegar. Bees won't come. So, truth with charity. And holding firm, always firm in our hand, this sword, this double bladed sword in our hands of truth and charity. And this is with this sword only that we will defeat the dragon. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. St. George, tear of demons, pray for us.